I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. I have been looking forward to today's guest for months. Now, this guy, Matt Del Negro, before I go into all his accomplishments and amazingness, I met Matt, I think it was in 2016, it was. at a Tony Robbins event, Unleash the Power Within. And I thought, man, God, this guy looks so familiar. He looks like that guy, Michael, on Scandal. But I thought, no, no, it's not him. And I got to talking, and he was saying how he went to Boston College. He was a Division One lacrosse player. And I thought, God, this is the nicest guy and I, I know I know him from somewhere. And of course, it was Matt Del Negro from all my favorite shows, basically. The Sopranos, The West Wing, Scandal. Um, oh my God. Okay, hold on. United States of Terra. Um, oh my God, help me. Goliath, which I love, which wasn't, Goliath hadn't happened yet, but you, you were in Goliath, one of my favorite shows. And now City on a Hill. This guy is one of the most incredible actors. He has such great range. Every part that he's played, I have loved. But most importantly, the greatest part that he plays is himself. Because when I met Matt, here is this rock star. He was probably one of the most humble, kind, open, generous, and welcoming guy. You know, when you meet someone for the first time, you don't necessarily connect deeply. But Matt, when I met you, we just connected so deeply immediately. And that's why I thought, oh, he can't be this amazing actor that I've seen on TV because he's just too humble and too kind and too amazing. But you're all those things. Matt Del Negro, I wanna thank you for the joy, the entertainment, what you bring into this world. Matt also has had, and it's on pause right now, but a podcast, 10,000 No's, and a book, which I must say is one of my favorite books ever, that talks about handling rejection. He, you have taken, Matt, people from all walks of life, and You've had them tell their stories of rejection or when they've been defeated, how they overcame it. And you are one of the prime examples of someone with grit and resilience and grace in handling challenge. And I just am so inspired by you, the human being, but also so inspired by your podcast that if you haven't heard 10,000 No's, get on listen to every single episode. It's so inspiring. You're going to meet so many incredible people, but also get this book, 10,000 News. So Matt Del Negro, as you can see, I could go on for the entire podcast <laughs> talking about how amazing you are. You're a family man and an incredible athlete, an incredible human. Thank you for being here. 
with me. Thank you. I, uh, you notice <clears throat> I'm usually a talker, as Deirdre will tell you. But when someone's saying all that nice stuff, I'm like, I shut the hell up and just let you talk. Um, you are way, way, way too kind. But that was really, really nice to hear because, you know, I feel the same way about you. And um, I think that's, you know, that's how I felt when we met. I remember we did. It was something where you had to go over and meet people next to you and you had to give them a hug. And I think we gave each other a hug and we we're both like, oh, that was, you know, it, it was just a mutual kind of like, huh. And and then I found out all about you. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that that weekend, that section that we were sitting in was um, intimidating, to say the least. It was like I felt like I, I love that you're saying that I was humble, but I was more like, how am I how am I here around all these people? So that that's more of what what was going through my mind. So thank you very much. And I feel the same way about you. And I, I um, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say. I think you're giving me way too much credit, but I, I will take it. Thank you. I want to give you credit also for the amazing choice you made in your wife uh, in Deirdre. So Matt has the most incredible wife, Deirdre. I think you've been together since was it? since 2002. We got married. Yeah. So we we met, we started, well, we met probably, we started dating end of 99, but we actually, she used to come into the bar where I bartended um, before that. She and her sisters and her cousin, um, you know, the Irish lasses would come into the bar, which is <laughs> shocking. And now um, you've got two amazing children as well. Um, yeah. So what has been your favorite role that you've ever played? As an actor? Um or I, you know, it's, it's pretty well no i'll say as an actor because let's take it there i i'm loving what i'm doing right now with chris Kaysen on city on a hill because the first two seasons i really um it was great but he was a stoic kind of heroic character and he, very close to the vest and this season that we're currently shooting i kind of made a request um Tom Fontana and Jorge Zamacona called me a couple months before the season, which is the first time that's ever happened for me. And they said, what are you interested in playing? And I basically said, I love that he's stoic and he's heroic, but I'd love to see him, you know, it be revealed. He's like maybe unraveling at home or whatever. A lot of the cops that I got to drive around with and um, I did a few ride alongs and kind of went to precincts and, and a lot of them just say that they, you know, even the greatest person, they're spending so much time on the job that other things suffer. So I thought there was something to explore there and they really leaned into that. And so this season, which we're almost done shooting, which will come out in June, uh, that's been really great. Just cool people on the show. It's like very, but I, but I will say probably my favorite role is one that you didn't mention it's from a netflix comedy um called huge in france and i play an actor who thinks you know he's a method actor and he thinks he's he's like he's he's not doing so well but he thinks he's doing well but he's got he's kind of this like lovable lug with a huge heart not the brightest bulb um but that that was so much fun because it had it was a comedy, but it was played with a tone that was like, we really played the reality of it. And there was so much heart in the show and so much kind of 
grit and depth that I, I joked around and said, I've cried more in this role than I have on any, any role. And it's a comedy, but it was just so well written and directed that it was, it was, that was so much fun. The character Jason Allen Ross was just, it was, it was fun because I don't do a ton of comedies. When yes. you do a comedy, it's like, being on set is great because you have immediate reaction to what you're doing. You're doing a drama and you have a serious scene. It's like, nobody wants to come around you. You're doing a comedy. They're like, Oh dude, that was awesome. That was a circle. And you're like, yeah, I want to go to work. And you know, so, so that, that was fun. That How could I have forgotten that huge in France on Netflix guys, you've got to watch this. And this truly, cause I hadn't seen you in comedy. So that was amazing. I can't believe I forgot that. And City on a Hill, which Matt was just talking about as well. If you haven't seen that, Matt stars along with Kevin Bacon. Um, incredible show. And you're going, it's third season, right? Third, third season, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I, yeah, I came on halfway through the first season and just recurred. And then they bumped me up to a regular in the second season. And then this season feels like I really am getting to sink my teeth into some stuff. So it, it's been fun. Amazing. And what about the most challenging role? Like, I know that you prepare, you really work hard to nail the role, to come in, you know, feeling confident and certain that you've done the work to prepare to, to be your best. What has been the most challenging role for you? Uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's most challenging, but I'll say the one that you knew me from uh, on Scandal was a very interesting situation the way it came about the, wh where i was in my career and my life and all of it like i i was coming off of my busiest time ever prior to that the year of 2014 i think it was and i had done i was like bouncing back and forth between a couple of shows i did a movie with reese witherspoon sophia vergara it was like i was like oh yeah this is great and i had done this um this pilot where i was just in one scene it was like, oh no two scenes but it was like toward the end of the pilot but i was my character was involved but he was like this mysterious texter that was texting the lead and i had a scene at the i can't really go anyway long story short it really went well and then i got replaced and all of a sudden, like, it was like, oh, they're going in a different direction. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, it, it couldn't have gone better. And something happened. So I, I was without work. We were actually in New York. We were here in the town that I live in now, Deirdre's hometown. And um, I, I was on the beach and I got a call from my manager and my agent. I was like thinking at that point, like, what am I going to do next? I, I have no idea what's next and um they said we got this offer for you to do something on scandal now i don't i'm not being humble i don't really i don't get a time i audition for most of the stuff that i get it's not like i'm getting offers every day um and usually when i am it's for some you know little independent film that nobody's gonna see or something like that so i didn't really know Shonda Rhimes and the show. I just didn't know it. I, I knew what Grey's Anatomy was, but I, I didn't, you know, anyway, I was like, oh yeah. I said, that's kind of a big show for them, right? Like I had no idea it was <laughs> what it was. Um, and they go, yeah. And I said, what's the role? And they said, they're being very tight-lipped about it. So I was like, okay. They said, they're going to send you the sides directly. And um, I said, okay. I said, well, 
all right i mean sound, i don't know she's whatever it sounds good so we get in the car we're driving away from the beach and i get a ding on my phone i'm like oh this is the this is the scene so i'm driving and deirdre is sitting next to me and i go read the scene so it's like my character at the time in that first scene didn't even have a name it said handsome young man it says <laughs> handsome young man stands at the bar cyrus who i didn't know who that was at the time you know wait da, da, da. and it's like cyrus handsome young man cyrus handsome young man and i and she's like reading back and forth and i just go oh shit. And she goes <laughs> what and i go i know where this is going and it goes cut to hotel room he's undressed and i was like oh my god i'm like oh man so that's all th that's all that i got and I, I called them and I'm like, they said it was recurring, but recurring just means two episodes. It means more than one, but sometimes they say recurring, it could just be that. So I was like, okay, is this going to be the equivalent of a male bimbo who comes in, takes his shirt off, makes out with a guy. And then the next episode, he wakes up with his shirt off and then he's done and you never see him again. And I'm like, this would be really embarrassing. I'm like, if it's a real role, a real, you know, then that's one thing, but I don't know. So I just made the calculated risk that I said, Shonda Rhimes is known to be a great writer. I can't imagine they're just going to do that. Yeah, I, I'll take it. And it was like four days later. So we were on the East Coast. Four days later, I was in a Four Seasons in um, Westlake Village with a wax chest and stomach in in boxer briefs in front of the whole crew with Jeff Perry, like, you know, got to like make out with Jeff Perry. And I was like, how's okay. everybody doing? How's everybody doing? And, and I remember thinking like, you know, I, I just remember thinking, I just have to find something in Jeff that I admire and that's easy to do. Like he is one of the founding members of, uh, of, uh, uh, oh God, <laughs> one of the greatest, uh, theater companies, Steppenwolf. Um, one of the founding members of Steppenwolf. He's just, he's a great guy. He's a great actor. He's just, he is an actor's actor. Yeah. And so it was easy just to, you know, I just kind of made a choice. But, but I was nervous. I was like, is anybody going to buy me as like a male gigolo? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they <laughs> did. Maybe I have, you know, not very good self-awareness, but, but I, I thought like, I, I don't know, this feels like a real stretch, but I thought it's a challenge. And I had been playing like cops and doctors and lawyers and wall street guys. And it's like, you know, all the guys that looked like me could do that, but like, would all of them have the balls to go do this and take their shirt off and do this thing? That's, you know, um, it ended up being a really vulnerable character and they really, I mean, Shonda and the writing staff just did such a great job of, of setting that character up. The, the first time you meet him, he seems totally put together. He's getting his MBA. He's in a sharp suit. He's quick witted and then just ripped that apart. And he became, I mean, it's funny. It's like all the roles I, I seem to get these roles that that's what they do. They, they, 
you know, they start with this one thing and then they reveal a much, you know, a much different truth. And um, so that was the challenge and that was also the excitement of it. But it was definitely, you know, it, it was like being thrown into the fire. There was not much time to prepare or think as much as it was like jump, just leap. And, and you know, I, and I made a decision that I, I don't know. I, I like to think that this is what helped, but they may have had this plan already. My thought was the first episode, they have me, you know, sleep with him. And then at the end of the episode, Portia de Rossi pays me off. And you realize I've been paid to sleep with him because he's the head of the RNC and I'm trying to get dirt on him. So I made a decision, don't play it like this evil guy who's trying to, who's this, you know, mustache twisting evil guy. I played it, I said, I'm gonna play it like, I'm gonna really sincerely connect with him and the writers will decide, have I fallen in love or am I just a really good actor who's getting really good at getting dirt by making him think that I fell in love? And they did that, you know, perfectly. That show is known for flipping on its head. And it seemed like every episode you would be like, oh, Michael is such a douchebag. And then you'd be like, oh, my God, Michael's such a, you know, a broken little child. And then you're like, no, he's a douchebag. No, no, he's a, you know, so and they really they took that and ran with it. So it, it ended up being a lot of fun. So it was brilliant. I mean, brilliant. And I want to go back to that moment where you're thinking this could be a big risk. This could just be, you know, the male bimbo comes in and that's it. That would be embarrassing. But there had to be this feeling of faith in yourself. And maybe did you ever find yourself thinking, I'm going to make sure it's not just a two-time small piece. I'm going to go in there and make them want to make this much bigger than maybe they intended it to be. Yeah, I mean, you never know if that's going to happen. But I I mean, I, my, one of my best, really best friend in this business, um, Chris Messina, who's a great actor, he, he would call me at the time, he called me the recur, because everything that I was on, like, I really, people don't believe this, but I was not a series regular until City on a Hill. That's this is the first time I've had like, a true contract and you know, getting paid kind of, I think what along the lines of, it's a whole other story, but I made a living kind of bouncing from show to show and people that were watching those shows thought I was a regular, but I was just recurring. But what I would do, West Wing was the same. I went in for what was supposed to be like a one episode thing. And then they called me back at the end of that year and the series fin I mean the season finale and then the next year they brought me back and I and I did a bunch in that final season um and I did that on a bunch of shows like I would start with like one thing or two episodes and I would it, it would just stretch so yeah I mean I think I you know I'm always thinking that like how do I make it as full as possible so that you're going like Oh, I wonder what else this person does, you know, like I wonder, or where else could this person go? And then 
you know, if you just play down to the level of what it is, you know, you can kind of take the ball and pass it from here to here, or you can do that with some kind of depth or flair or not, not necessarily like, look at me, look at me, but just with something authentic. And then hopefully the writers are like, Oh, Oh, well, and then they, they, they write something for you. And then if that goes, then it starts to become like a, it's very interesting on TV. It's like a, you're creating the role together. You know, they created it, but with those roles that are kind of coming in, in, in that way, they're really just, you know, they're kind of there to serve. Like I was there to serve Jeff's storyline. Right. So if, if I do that though, and I bring something that they can see, then you can kind of, they go like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, they had chemistry. Maybe we could write to that or, oh no, you know, and then, and then it becomes this thing where the role becomes, you know, they're not thinking once they hand off the role, I mean, I'm the one I have to play it. So I got to make, I got to defend that guy, you know? So I have to really be thinking about everything. And then a lot of times the writers will just, um, it's like a great dance when it works out where you're, you know, like, I mean, scandal's a great example. Like they, I don't know. I never talked to them. I don't know if they already had all that, those plans for that character. They, they may have. So maybe the, all of this is bullshit. What I'm no, saying. I don't and, and I'm putting it on, but that's, that's how I, I would actually love to talk to them and see like how much of that storyline did you guys know and how much came about, I actually don't know the answer. I feel like you went in and due to what you brought to the table, you inspired them to want to create more. I feel like I'm I'm relating it to some clients I have that, that are in business and they get a new job and it's a certain role and they do that role, but they add more what you're talking about, adding more flair, adding, you know, interesting little things. And suddenly they get to a point where the company creates a new role for them and one that they just create because they see that this person has these the, these superpowers in a way and they start creating a role to allow for that person to shine in those areas. And I feel like that's exactly what you've done and what you continue to do with all these different roles. So now I know you've had a lot of no's along the way. Maybe maybe let's start there. Please tell everyone about why you decided to not only have the podcast 10,000 no's, but like we look at you and we see this incredible success. And we don't see all the no's and rejections or the disappointments. So maybe speak to that. And how did you maintain your confidence, your determination to keep going amidst those rejections? Um, well, you kind of just answered it yourself, why I wanted to do it. That my experience was I saw, you know, it's, it, like, I was going to say being an actor is interesting because like how people receive you is not really who you are. It's like what they, it's like a piece of you that they saw that was a part of something that they loved or hated. 
and you're that's not really who you are that's just what you did on that show um but i also think like i'll actually take it even further back to college when i was playing lacrosse and then i quit lacrosse and went out for a play which was like felt like a total 180 and i remember being at a party and i was like flirting with the girl and there was there was like a um like a uh a, a laundry um what the hell do you call it an ironing board you know and like as part of the flirt i like grabbed the board like i was surfing or something like some dumb thing just like a typical jackass college guy you know but i did that stuff before when i did it before it's like oh you're a jackass once i had done one play everybody's like oh you're such an actor and i was i remember going huh so weird how everybody wants to just put you in the smallest box they could put you in because it's easy for them to just go like oh yeah matt actor but i'm the same guy i was last year you were like matt lacrosse player and that had a whole different connotation than actor and then whatever so that's one thing then flash forward to just in my career like i said i was not making crazy money i mean it's been a very very slow burn it has been i'm not bullshitting you when i say it has been stressful financially i mean it just just and i have all these friends that i went to school with that you know work on wall street make more money than god and i was like it's like i took a vow of poverty but i loved what i did yeah but so it was always a struggle but to the outside world if you met someone in a certain situation like at an airport or on a vacation or somewhere usually not in your where you live they would be like oh my god you're agent mccall you're you're scott's dad oh my god you know like they would they would have this reaction based on whatever the role was right that they hooked into and i remember thinking like huh they have such a different idea of what my life is than what my life really is so there was a real difference between facade and reality and then i thought all right well if i have that then maybe these other people that i look at that way they're not so all together either and that was really the germ of it and then the actual starting of it goes to scandal because scandal it was all great all that stuff then the next whatever I, I can't remember how many seasons it was but I, it was like the best stuff was the stuff in the first season it was all really it was very different than the vibe of that show like it was jeff and i it was like we were in an independent film like in in yeah. hotel rooms it was like languid scenes it wasn't like that rat-a-tat-tat scandal stuff and then it started to it, it started to kind of like get to where I was just, we got married. And then I was like the husband, like I would come in, I didn't have that much to do, but I was still grateful for the job. Then I was on a film and my reps called and said, Shonda wants to use you big time next season. I was like, wow, awesome. Whatever happened, we moved, we, our nut went up, our monthly nut, we moved and, and I don't know what happened, but they did not use me big time <laughs> they, they like basically i did like three episodes that next season yeah couldn't get arrested i was it was like i would was auditioning but nobody was taking me and i was you know essentially like f this i don't want to wait 
for someone to hire me to be able to contribute. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of waiting for someone else to tap me. It's like, you know, that's the, that's the problem as an actor. You're like, can you pick me? Oh, pick me, pick me. Oh, great. I got it. And then they're like, done. And then you're just sitting on the sideline and it just drives you batty. So uh, I just was, you know, I had just started listening to podcasts. I thought it was a really cool format. Like it, it felt real. It didn't feel like, you know, BS little sound blurbs. It sounded like actual conversations. And I was just a fly on the wall listening. My friend had a a pretty big podcast. So I started talking to him about it. Um, I was doing some voiceovers. So I had, I had microphones and I started talking to the sound guys about it. And then, um, I remember I was, we were, I was in Italy with my family for my mom's 75th birthday. And I was taking a walk with my brother and my sister. And I was talking about the podcast and I had been hemming and hawing for like six months about it. And my brother's like, what's the deal? Why aren't you doing it? And I was like, well, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just kind of scared. And he's like, and he's my older brother who was like, you know, he, if you watch the wonder years, he was Wayne to my Kevin. So I don't know if you ever watch it, but yes, like he yes. was like the older brother that, yes. and he goes, He's like, you're scared to talk on a microphone. He's like, you made out with a dude in front of millions of people. (laughs) And my sister started laughing at him. And I was like, yes, but that's not me. That's Shonda Rhimes character. I can jump into that. That's no problem. You know, it's like, what's the role? Jump in. Boom. I said, but this is going to be me. If you listen to the podcast and you don't like it, you don't like me. You know, and that was scary. It was like, I felt very exposed. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, I mean, you talk about the challenges, biggest challenge. I'd say launching that thing was probably the scariest. You know, it, the thing that finally got me was um, I actually, right after that trip, I had to leave that trip early to come back and start doing Goliath. And I worked a day with Mark Duplass and he and his brother, Jay, are like the Duplass brothers. They, you know, kind of made a name for themselves. And we were talking about, he was basically saying, Jay was, he's like, you remind, I was telling him about the podcast, like what I was thinking. And he goes, you remind me of my brother. He's like, you know, incredible writer. He said, the joke in our family is that Jay will write like the, you know, seven eighths of the greatest screenplay you've ever heard of or ever read in Hollywood, but it won't get done. He's like, I will make 30 episodes of mediocre TV every year or whatever. He's like, I just get it done. He's like, you just got to let it rip. And that was on like July 3rd, I think. The next day, the whole family was not there. I was by myself. It was 4th of July morning. I got on the microphone with the laptop i just hit record and i just you could literally that's the first episode it's like 17 minutes of me babbling about what i want this thing to be and i did it sent it off to the editor who just basically you know spruced it up and put music on it and said that's episode one that was my launch it was like no launch no strategy total bonehead and then I did another, I interviewed someone and I loved it. And 
I put that out and then I heard, I hadn't listened to them on Apple podcasts yet. I had only sent them out. So I was by myself. Um, and I, uh, after I had gone East and I came back and I was like, let me just listen to it. Like, as though I'm just like, a someone who doesn't know me. Yeah. And I put it on my phone. You could find it on Apple pod. I was like, Oh my God, there's me on Apple podcasts, you know? And I listened and I swear it was like, I almost puked. I was like, I cannot believe I just did this. And if I had not just put it out, I probably wouldn't have a podcast. Why? Was, it, was just, like- it was just so, it was, I was like, oh my God, I sound like an idiot. And oh my God, like what? It was, it was just, I just felt like exposed. You and know? I hear you on that because I can relate doing this and I haven't listened back to any of mine. So you're yeah. braver than I am. But so when I listen to 10,000 No's and every episode that you've done, what I love so much about it is it it's real, it's vulnerable. You know, I always talk about how in college I had just ridiculous OCD. And I was so overwhelmed by how crazy I felt. And nobody ever spoke about anxiety, fear, OCD. So I truly thought that I was the only person on the planet that felt what I was feeling. I felt so alone. And, and, and that made it so overwhelming. Like I didn't know if I could deal with it anymore. What I got out of this podcast is you're learning, just like you said, that these people that you think haven't made and it's so easy and they achieve success and there were no bumps along the way, like you realize that no, everybody, everybody gets rejected, everybody's afraid, everybody gets anxious, everybody, you know, sometimes loses hope, everybody, like it makes me not feel so alone. And I think that that is the ultimate gift that you bring with your podcast, with your book, with who you are as a human being, is that you allow yourself to be vulnerable. You you bring out the vulnerability in others and it gives people hope. It, it gives people hope that they can be told no 10,000 times, but then have like their greatest, you know, break, their, their biggest triumph. And to me, that is such a beautiful gift, Matt. So, I mean, and I haven't, so I might have to go back and listen to mine because now I feel like, man, he's brave. So it makes me want to be brave. Um, but do you get messages about how grateful people are to hear these stories, to know that that they're not alone? That Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. First of all, thank you. It's so nice of you to say. And you're the same exact way, by the way. You only recognize that because that's, that's, it's like you're describing you, I think. Um, but yeah the messages i'll say this there there's there's probably nothing more fulfilling that i've had than the messages i get from the podcast or the book it's and the book is it's kind of interesting i didn't i didn't expect this it's a surprise but now that i know it it makes sense i thought the podcast was so much more immediate and vulnerable and you know dangerous than the book because you're actually you know you're speaking you're right that you know whatever because i do these solo episodes now so it's like you're really it's like you're talking to people you're in their ears literally 
Um, the and, and the response has been really, really cool. The book, it's almost an even more in-depth response in some way from people. And I think I realized why. I listen to podcasts all the time and I love them. And I've reached out to people, hosts and told them, you know, because I know what it feels like when it happens to me. And, you know, so, but when you read a book, like, so when you read, when you're listening to a podcast, you're on their timeline. I mean, I will, I might like probably the only listener who will literally go back 15 seconds, go back. Wait, what was that? What I'll listen to the whole thing. Like nobody listens to the whole thing, but I do. But, but a book, you read it, you sit with it. No one's around. You write notes in there. You dog ear the, the, you know, like a book is really intimate. You know, you're reading it yourself. The, the person's not, you're, you know, imagining what they sound like. Like, so it's, it's actually, I guess it hits on a deeper level is what I've seen from the, the, just from the responses. Um, but the but the podcast too. I mean, honestly, I, I think it's 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 way more rare that someone complimenting my work as an actor will hit me to the core. Whereas when someone writes in about the podcast or the book, it'll hit me to my core and and make me feel really kind of like proud of what I'm doing. Um, not that the other stuff. I'll take it when someone wants to compliment the acting, but it's. Sometimes, you know, there's different kinds of like, some people are like, hey man, da, 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 or they don't know, they know they know you, but they don't really know what they know you from. The, the reason I brought up Huge in France, like not only was that experience great, but I think because that character was so, it was just, a, I mean, like on the page, it was a great character. Like I got lucky that I got that. It was such a, you know, I watched that for the first time. And I remember in like, ADR, I was there as like when you go in and you you loop your your voiceover sometimes for stuff that gets messed up for sound reasons. And the writer directors were there and I was like, so what do you think? And they're like, dude, you're going to like this. And I remember they showed me a bunch of clips and it's probably the first time I've ever seen something that I was in and I was like, oh, I'd be jealous of that guy. If someone else got that role, I'd be pissed off. They got to play that. That's how that that was how and that role gets like when people respond to that sometimes it'll be you know very specific and that's really nice to hear or like what you're saying about michael on scandal it's like but but something about the podcast and the book i guess because it's you know like i said you live and die by it like if someone hates it it's like sorry dude i don't know what to tell you this is kind of like i don't know i really believe in it but okay you know, but, but you're, it's much more vulnerable because it's, it's like, I have much more skin in the game in a way. Yeah. Cause it's like, I'm not only acting, I'm writing it, I'm acting and I'm producing, I'm doing, you know, so it's like, it's very representative of me. So when I get comments on it that are nice ones, um, that, you know, that does, yeah, that does feel good. Like, I feel like, all right, I'm help. I've helped one person. Yeah. Oh my God, you've helped so many. And, and what I thank you for is you've taken your pain and what you've learned. You know, why do we want to learn? We want to learn so we can pass that on, right? But a lot of people 
aren't brave enough or courageous enough to want to share their pain and how they got through it or what they learned from it. But you've done that. And I think vulnerability is like such strength, you know? Thank you. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell your listeners this right now or viewers. I don't know. I actually don't know if this is on video or what, but if anybody is like struggling with something, I'll, I'll tell you this, the nose, let's, talk about them, you know, proverbially, the, the, the 10,000 nose was like a lead weight around my neck for years. And then when I did this, it was like alchemy, like all of a sudden it turned into gold that I was handing out and it and like a, a helium balloon that was lifting me because it, it really was something I was shamed, I was ashamed of, like, I, I don't know if people, you know, probably don't think through this because you just, you know, I mean, before I was an actor, I didn't even think, I thought Indiana Jones was just Indiana Jones. I don't think I thought it was a guy who like, went to work <laughs> that day, you know, so people probably don't think this, but if you're an actor in my situation, born and raised on the East coast, <clears throat> now we're out West, you know, I just moved back, but we were out West for 16 years. You're out West, you know, you're working and everybody's like, Oh, I saw you on the thing, you know, and it's great but there's a lot of time where you're not working and you can't get work as much as you're trying. And it's just awful. Imagine going back to a wedding on the East coast and everybody see, and you're, it's like social anxiety. Cause it's like, if you're working, it's going to be great. If you're not, it's like, what are you doing? Well, you know, um, uh, you know, and you have this vague conversation you're trying to like, and it's basically shame of all the no's and the rejection and the fact that you can't get a fucking job. Yeah, literally people yeah. don't, they think I'm like saying that figuratively. Like, no, it's no, I cannot get a fucking job. <laughs> I don't get paid until I get one. You know, that's what it felt like. That yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's still, it, it still is. You get residuals, you get, you know, you, so you have a little bit, but it's not like you're, it's really, it, it was, it was like, you know, it was debilitating. But then when I did this, I felt like, I mean, I feel like the, all the 10,000 no's stuff is just payback yeah. for all of the shit I took. But you had to go, I always talk about going first. And that means you get to decide what story you want to live in this life. You get to decide what's possible, what you're capable of. And I feel like this is a really important moment where you went first. You were probably tired of saying, I can't get a freaking job. Yeah. So instead of waiting for someone else to change your situation for you, you went first in creating something else that not only mattered a lot to you, it stretched you, um, it pushed you, and it became a gift that you gave to the world. So what gave you that? Was it more like, oh my God, I'm not bringing in enough money to support my family? Or what was it? What was the biggest pull towards going first and not waiting for anyone else? I think it comes back to, I quote this all the time, our friend Tony Robbins. It's He talks about like, you know, pleasure and pain. And I think that's the, I pretty much think that sums up 
you know, if not 100%, like 99.9% of everything of why we do what we do. If you're getting, if you think you're getting pleasure from doing things one way, you're going to keep doing it that way. You're just going to keep doing it because the other way, whether or not it's more painful, you perceive the alternative to be more painful that therefore you don't go do it. You're like, oh, I'll I'll stay with this. It's uncomfortable, but it's an uncomfortable that I know. Yes. I think I just got to the point where I just couldn't, you know, the, the pain of the way I was doing it wasn't, I was like, screw this. Like, this is not working. And so I just, you know, I mean, everybody told me I was not, they're like, you're going to do what? You're going to do a podcast like that. Like everybody has a podcast and, and, and everybody didn't even have a podcast at that point. That was 2017, but it still seemed like a lot of people were starting, but it was also like, you're going to do this whole other thing. And then you're going to talk to people that are not even in your industry. Like it was like, I think people that I like, love and respect were a little bit like, all right, you know, do it. Uh, okay. But something in me was just like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And if I fail, I fail, but I've got to just try it. And, and that's kind of, you know, it was the same thing. Every major decision I've made has been like, like stopping lacrosse and, and then doing a play. Same thing. That was so hard. It, when you have like a history with something and you have, you know, loyalty to that or and you have so many like just think about sports like you've been playing it since you were a kid like it's 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 more than just that it's like an identity it's a you know it's so much that you have to shed it's painful to do it you don't want to do that but that got to a point where like i i do remember specifically a practice where i was running around shea field at boston college and I thought, I wish I would just roll my ankle so I don't have to be here. And then the next second, I was like, that's bananas. You're not on scholarship, brother. <laughs> I could quit. And it was like, and, and, you know, and that had been after going through a whole thing, you know, months before that, where I thought maybe I don't want to play. But it was so hard to do that. And then I made the leap into acting, which, again, everybody's like, what? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but But it doesn't always have to make, yeah, it doesn't, you know, actually, well, I won't do it, but there's a, there's a letter over here that I have in my office that just, we just found it after the move. Deirdre found it. She's like, you should have this at your office. It's from my grandfather to my cousin in 1991. He was going through something, I guess, with a job, not knowing what to do. My grandfather, who's an Italian immigrant, you know, went to school through the sixth grade, uh, was a a cabinet maker and then put himself through school at night to become a draftsman. Um, He wrote this letter to my cousin and he basically says, like, I never thought doing it, taking a job for the money was the way to go. Like, do what you love and the money will follow. And gold. it doesn't always make sense and it doesn't always make sense right now but like sometimes you just have to like pull the trigger and take the leap and fall on your face 
you're definitely going to fall on your face, but like, who cares? I mean, so what? Like, are you just going to like stay on your little perch with that's just cause it's where you've been and, and then never know. I, I, you know, I mean, not every day. I don't feel like this every day. Cause sometimes I, I wake up and I'm like, Oh, you're a dumbass. <laughs> you you should have just taken the, you know, taken the comfortable route. But, but I really feel like for me, at least that would not be living in some way. Like that would not be really living. Like, like you got, I don't know. Like, I love it. This is gold. This is gold. And it's such great advice. And it's following your heart. It's following the pull. And look what it's led you to. And you're an incredible example for all of us to not just settle for where we are, um, because it feels safe, but to follow your heart and go for your dreams. And the gift that you bring into this world, Matt, is so beautiful. I cherish having your friendship. I think you truly are one of the most incredible men I've ever met. And I just want to thank you. So for my listeners and our listeners, where can they find more of you? What, what, how can they contact you? How can they follow you? Um, what would you like to share with them? Uh, well, first, before I say that, I'd say thank you so much. You're like, you're, you really uh, like always so, so kind. And I feel the same way about you. You're so warm and you're, you're like, incredible you know you're a world champion like there's only one world champion you're and you don't realize it and so uh yeah right back at you on everything you just said to me um where can they find me I, i'm most active on instagram the you know i would say for the last several years um and that is at maddie dell it's just m-a-t-t-y-d-e-l um that's probably a good you know the best place. And then there's like MatthewDelNegro.com. There's 10,000Nos.com, which is just 10000NOS.com. I have to fix. I just realized like last week that the email is not working on uh, 10,000 Nos. So if you see it and then you, you don't get to it, it means I didn't fix it, but it, it'll be fixed hopefully today. Um, and uh, you can reach out there. Uh, yeah. A DM on Instagram will you know, saying that, that you heard me on series show will be good because then I know like, you know, you actually heard me talking and, um, and liked what you heard. So, uh, yeah. And then city on a hill on showtime, uh, should be out season three, um, in June is all I know at this point. Can't wait. I'm so excited. Matt, you're amazing. Thank, thank you, you so much. And no, thank you. You really make, you're really like good for my ego. <laughs> well, it's all truth. I mean, this is just how I feel. Like you are just a, a beautiful man. So humble. Um, so inspiring. So thank you. And I can't wait to see you again. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at Siri Lindley, Facebook Siri Lindley, and Twitter at Seltz. 
S-E-L-T-S. You can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.